Alright, good morning everyone. This is Making Movies is Hard, where we talk about the everyday struggles of being an independent filmmaker. I'm Timothy Plain, and with me is Ulrich Bursell. Good morning, good morning everybody. So I had a kind of a tough week this week, like emotionally. Wow, uh-oh. What was so hard about it? I just had a lot of moments over the last week where I really thought about giving up on everything. Do you ever have that? <laughs> yeah, I do. But I mean, I just think from my perspective, everything that you've been telling me and what's going on for you, it's like, I'm so excited for you right now. Like what's going on with your career. And I, I yeah, uh, to hear that you want to quit, this makes me feel like, what? <laughs> Are you insane? <laughs> <laughs> I'm a saboteur. Oh my God. No. Every time everything goes well, you're like, oh no, I should quit. No, it's not that. <laughs> it wasn't like a serious thought, like I should quit. It was just kind of like that feeling was like kept creeping up like every day. Cause I was just so overwhelmed with the amount of work. It's like, yeah, I think I have kind of a threshold of the amount of work that I enjoy doing. And then there's like an amount of work that just becomes like so overwhelming that it's like not even fun anymore. Mm-hmm. So I had like this feeling over like probably almost every day for like the past week we're just like man what would my life look like if i just stopped doing this and stopped killing myself and then when i think about that then i'm like oh well i don't like that version of my life either that sucks just sitting around and don't have nothing on the side and just go to a job every day so the i'm in a good place now i think it kind of ended yesterday for me Mm. um Mm. But yeah, it's like I kind of got to the place where I figured I would rather have these moments of like crisis than to like not be pursuing film at all. Yeah. And was it because you had lots of work for your your company and you were also trying to accomplish things in your career? Yeah, it's like I have a full-time job at work. Usually I only have one production to work on at a time. Right now I have three. Mm-hmm. Then I got asked to direct something. So that's a fourth project. That's my day job. That's exciting. And then, yeah, it's cool. But then also on the outside, I have, I'm working on a screenplay, your screenplay. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Um, (laughs) I was, I was giving notes on another screenplay. I have the podcast. I have my own projects that I'm like constantly thinking about and worried about and thinking like, I have all these things adding up to my next move but sometimes i don't know like where to put my energy because i don't know which next move is going to actually turn into anything right so then i have like this crisis of like well i should work a little bit on everything because i don't know which one's going to take off first so and then also family stuff right yeah yeah a lot it's tough i mean I usually try to tackle the thing that's the most immediate, you know, the one that needs to be handled right away. And then once that one's done, the thing that is coming first and then go on to the, the one that's next in line is, you know, what needs to happen as soon as possible, that kind of thing, you know? So like, yeah, I mean, like I just had shot the web series on Sunday. Yes. Two days ago. And that was amazing. And so pretty much, the last few weeks I've been doing lots of other things, but like that's kind of been the most important thing um, just because it was the thing that was coming up next. And so no matter what I was right. doing, it's immediate. You can't, you can't ignore, you can't put that off. Yeah. And the shoot date set has like a real hard yeah. date. 
So like things have to happen before the shoot and in a certain order. So it's like, okay, I just have to do these things, you know? Um, so I think that is an easy way for me to do it, but then trying to get other things done on top of, uh, the main thing is, is kind of hard. And then with work stuff too, on top of it and everything, it's a, it can get challenging, but yeah, Yeah. it's funny. It's hard. I think sometimes it's hard for me to decide like, what's the most important thing to work on at that moment. But yeah, anyways, we don't yeah, have to talk about it anymore. I, I know what you mean. It was just, I was just curious. I was more curious to know, like, do you ever have these, this feeling of just like, it's so much work that you're just like, oh man, I need a break. I just need yeah. to like, take a few days away from this or a week away from this and just drop everything. Um, I do think about quitting sometimes, not seriously, but like, I think like, what, what would it be like if, uh, if I just had a job that I was doing just for money and I was just going nine to five and getting a raise every year and I didn't have to do anything else and I could just hang out and whatever. And I, sometimes it sounds like, Oh, that might be nice. And then you realize that you would die. (laughs) 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 That I would literally die if I did that. (laughs) Isn't there something inside of us, like some creative aspect of our personality that just won't be happy unless we're pursuing something creative? Yeah, man. I mean, I I think that like, well, right now I'm on a high because I just shot this, uh, this web series and it went really well and the the footage looks beautiful and everyone had a good time and it was a great shoot and it's just nothing but happy right now. So I just feel really good and accomplished. Um, so it's hard to put myself in that mindset. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I definitely think even if I was in my worst place with the with filmmaking, I'd still need to, I still need to do it just because it's something that's inside of you that needs to come out. And I've, and I've always felt this way, even since I was a kid, I always felt like there was something inside of me that needed to come out, whether or not it was going to be filmmaking or storytelling or whatever. But I always knew there was something going on in here that I had to do. Well, I want to talk about your shoot and the feelings leading up to the shoot, how you felt on the shoot. Like, how did all that go? Oh, man. So I basically was feeling really confident about it, um, like, days before, you know, because we did these rehearsals. We did one um, uh, the Thursday a week before, and then we did another one the the next Thursday, like, three days or four days before the shoot or whatever it was. Um, and those were very, very good, like great rehearsals, super um, encouraging. We did, uh, you know, wardrobe um, at the same time. And so we had their wardrobe and the performances all down on Thursday night. I had all the props I had to get on Thursday night as well. We had our cop uniform. It was like all the big things that I was worried about were like taken care of. And then we had a producer on board, so she was kind of taking care of food and call sheets and all the other technical stuff. And then um, on Saturday, I, I then found out that we were, we didn't have all the equipment we needed, so that sort of made me nervous. But I shouldn't have been nervous at all because obviously the DP was going to take care of it, and he did take care of it, no problem. <laughs> but I just any any tiny little thing that was starting to go wrong, I started to like sort of take it on. Um, which yeah, was nice. That's part of the producer in you. Yeah, absolutely. And I should have just not worried about it. But I, to be honest, like those are just excuses to be nervous. Like I was really just nervous about uh, the actual shoot and then just making sure I could live up to, you know, how I performed in rehearsals and how I performed like in all the pre production and all the talks with, uh, with the writer and the producer about it and like just making yeah. sure I could actually deliver on what I wanted to do. 
and it's it was a lot of firsts for me man it was like the first time i ever directed anything that i hadn't written it was the first time i had directed something that um i didn't pay for myself um well i guess not technically but on this big of a scale absolutely you know right um and then yeah it was the first time feeling the pressure from all these different sources it was it was just kind of adding up to a, a new type of pressure you don't normally feel before a shoot yeah and i i rem- realized the day before too that usually i'm in a lot more control of the productions like i you know either know the people who are working on them a little bit closer or they're they were in my house before or i had a lot more to do with like the you know, because I wrote them and I decided where we're going to shoot and all the things. So I like just knew the shoot better, I guess, going into the other ones just because I had been more involved with it. And then so this one was a little bit more like I'm just stepping into another thing, you know, um, which I <laughs> yeah. think is how it normally is for, for most directors. I imagine that they don't have <laughs> as much to do with the production and, um, you know, the writing necessarily or whatever. So I feel like it was, it was a good challenge for me to, to come into that situation that way. Um, and I think I did a good job. I think I was able to just be the director that I, that I usually am, or I try to be, you know, like just, yeah, I feel like the day before a shoot, almost any shoot that I've had, I'm always kind of questioning whether I'm going to be able to pull it off. Yeah. And a lot of it comes from like, there's usually so much time in between projects that I'm always like thinking, do I still remember how to direct? Am I going to, am I going to get on set and, and remember what it was like to, to do a good job at this stuff? And then you get it, you get on set and it just kind of comes naturally after like the first hour you're like, all right, okay. I remember all this. It's like riding a bike. Yeah. I think the rehearsals helped me with that, you know, cause being in the rehearsals was sort of like directing, you know, in, in a lot of ways, except that, you know, there's obviously no crew and no camera, but yeah, it was, I don't know, man. I think I'm probably always going to feel that way. Feel nervous, feel like, you know, the weight of the world on my shoulders before a shoot, because I mean, cause it is that important to so. me. I think you if know? you stop feeling that way, it might kind of be bad. Right. Yeah. If I didn't care. Yeah. That means you just don't care. Like I think, I, did you hear the interviews with Ian McKellen when he was doing his rounds for Mr. Holmes? Um, I heard one of them. Yeah. I don't know if the one you heard, I think the one that I heard was on WTF and he, I think he talked about like still feeling nervous before a performance. Oh yeah. You know what? In the seventies. Yeah. And a legend. Yeah. Yeah. I think so having that feeling, I think is probably good you know, cause it's like, it makes you focus and it makes you, I don't know. It makes you just really take it seriously. I mean, not that I wouldn't take it seriously anyways, but it's just like, I think it makes you really, as prepared as you're going to possibly be for it, you know? Um, yeah, I think if you're too relaxed, then it's easy for things to kind of fall through the cracks because you're just like, oh, yeah, I mean, everything's taken care of. But if you're nervous about stuff, you're kind of paying attention to all the details and making sure that nothing slips through. So I think the nervous energy does help in some weird way to make things better because you're not taking it for granted. You're like pushing and trying to make it the best it can be. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I don't know. I just I think uh I think it it's it's a it's a hard thing to really describe like the emotions that I was going through beforehand. <laughs> but I mean, when yeah. I when I got on set and uh saw everything was going, um you know, 
I just sort of in it, you know? And I mean, I was just in the zone and just doing it and doing the things that I do, you know? And uh, mm-hmm. not really thinking about, like, the technical, like, thoughts about directing or, like, the all the things. Because I had just edited episode 12 the day before, you know, we were talking oh, yeah. about directing and, and working with actors and stuff. So, like, it was interesting to yeah, have... Did you try any new techniques out? Not, not really. I mean, I think I just did a little bit of everything we talked about, you know? Um, yeah. Like, I I, uh, I I didn't actually say a lot, you know? Um, and I think there was a couple of times where I might have given too much information at once, but then it worked out really well in the take, so... Maybe that wasn't that bad. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's always a relief. Yeah, you're like, shit, I just gave way too much direction. And then you're like, well, we'll see what happens. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, If it it didn't overwhelm the actor, you're like, oh, thank God, that could have been a disaster. Yeah, but then I I would usually just sort of give a couple things and, uh, you know, just sort of let them work it out themselves. Because you can tell when they're like um, getting into a place where maybe they're sucking themselves out or... They're, they're getting yeah. a little, like the energy isn't the energy that they want and you can tell that they're feeling it, you know, and then you just let them work it out. Well, it all sounds very positive and you're on the other side of it now. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, and I'm working with another editor for the first time, um, which oh, wow. I'm excited about. Yeah. Wow. Ulrich Bursell working with writers and editors and producers. I know. And you've I changed. feel like a professional. Changed, man. Yeah. <laughs> I feel now, like you, this do is Do you like this feeling? Do you like the feeling of not doing everything yourself? I don't or know. Is it, does I've, it make you nervous? It, I'm a little nervous. I mean, I I like I'm but I mean I realize that even if I don't like the work that the editor does that I can still do whatever I want, you know? So it's not that right. big of a thing. Um I guess I just feel like more like a professional now than I have before, you know? And uh, I think I'm excited to work this way, but I'm also excited to work in the way that I've done before. But I kind of feel like the more support you have, um, the easier it is to focus on the the thing that you need to do as a director. So I I don't mind having the people to help out and be there. And the fact that I didn't write it doesn't bother me. I think that was exciting and fun. And like to, to, to harness someone else's vision as your own I think is something that's really special. And uh, the fact that I was able to do that, and I mean, just the look on um, the producer writer star's face when she saw what we were doing and then like would see a little bit of the footage. Um, she, it was just great. You know, they were just super excited. And I think I realize now that they have hardly seen anything, but they just saw what was happening. And so I think just them seeing us do our thing like with the crew and everything i think that just made them excited and uh i think they just know that the footage is awesome even though they haven't seen a ton of it um yeah i I think whenever you have an idea and you're it's finally starting to come to life it's just so exciting to like see all these people like coming together to like work on this thing that you just were sitting in a bedroom putting together so let's yeah let's move on to the topic of the week which is um what are we talking about? Oh, yeah, we're going to talk about kind of financing. I think probably a big part of the discussion is Kickstarter, but we're not going to go like too deep into the the hows of a Kickstarter campaign, but more of just like an overview and like the different ways that we've funded our films and um, how Kickstart, why we chose Kickstarter over some of the other crowdfunding platforms. I'd say that for me, I've 
done mostly I've raised money for my films by just self-funding them. Uh, there's been a few films where it's been like a collaboration between a few people and we put our own money into it. You know, everybody puts in like a little bit of money to make something. Um, but I would say that for the most part, it's just been me like using my savings to, to put something together. And then only recently did I try Kickstarter for the first time. How about you? I know you just did a film where somebody else paid for it, but leading up to that, like how have your films been funded? Yeah. So going back to like high school and college, um, just, you know, using the equipment that we had with us and just doing it together kind of thing, you know, and just, uh, making it happen. Um, and then more recently, uh, yeah. So I guess, I call a strange thing like so I did a documentary that I just funded myself but I used equipment for free and like I just there was no cost really because I just fed myself but yeah for strange thing I did Kickstarter um, which didn't really necessarily go as well as it looks like it did or as well as I thought it was going to um, just because Kickstarter is a very difficult thing to, to do and then for Brother I just decided to pay for it myself because I didn't think I wanted to do a, another uh, crowdfunding um, campaign I just wasn't ready yet you know and then yeah. and then I guess yeah Zombie versus Drone um, someone else paid for but we had a very little budget so that was basically just begging for everything and then and then yeah necessary evil um yeah it was funded by uh by somebody else which was pretty pretty cool well how come you didn't use kickstarter again for brother you used it for strange thing and then you decided that what you had tapped out the community well i guess the way that i look at it it isn't that necessarily that i tapped out the community but just more like um I didn't really want to go back to that well yet because when you yeah. when you use Kickstarter, I mean, you are asking money from the world, from the greater film community. But the first round of people that you're really asking money from is like your friends and family. And I didn't feel like I wanted to ask <laughs> yeah. my friends and family for money for another short film just because... I already did that, you know, and I kind of feel like the next Kickstarter campaign or, um, you know, Indiegogo or Seed and Spark, whatever I choose to, to use, um, that it should be for a feature length film, you know, um, and I hope that that's not how I have to fund my feature, but so many amazing features have been funded that way. Um, I kind of feel like it might be part of my funding almost no matter what potentially you know i don't want to do a kickstarter this year for a short film and then turn around next year and do another one for a feature film i'd rather like build up my kickstarter or, or um you know crowdfunding mojo for an, a bigger project later yeah i'm kind of i feel the same way it's like a, you can't keep going back to the well and asking people to keep giving you money so i feel like you have to be smart about when you use crowdfunding to get money for your movie and the reason that i chose to do kickstarter when i did spirit machine was just it was so big i couldn't do it myself and i to me, that's like the best way to use Kickstarter, but I know that's not how everybody's using it. A lot of people are, are using it, I think, just kind of in ways to pay for their film. But 
I don't know. I think it's a more compelling argument when you go out to the community and say, look, I have this thing that's so much bigger than me. I can't do it myself. Can you please help me? Then if it's just like, I need $3,000 to go shoot a film that I really would like to do. That's, you know, sometimes when I see those, I think, well, why don't you just raise $3,000, like save $3,000 and go do it? Like, why are you asking people yeah. to help you out? Yeah, I think um, I hear your point. I, I think it's like, if you if you really can't get the money elsewhere, then like Kickstarter just feels like the right choice, you know. Or if it's something that there's a community that wants to see it or would believe in it, you know, then it feels like a good reason. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's just an easy thing for us to say because we're both like into genre filmmaking. But like, you know, like science fiction or horror, yeah, it just feels like know. there's a community who wants those things, and like, I think it's easier to to tap into those people. But if you're just making like an indie drama short film you know yeah but then like on the other side of the coin like you think about like a musician amanda palmer's doing this a lot where she's using kickstarter to like raise money for every single one of her projects i think she's maybe it's not even kickstarter she's just using crowdfunding as like a way to fund her career so rather than having a label that pays for everything she's having her fans give her money directly to do stuff so there might be a model eventually where filmmakers who have enough you know, clout behind them and enough fan base, they can keep making movies just by asking their fans to donate a little bit here and there. But I'm guessing that you would need like millions of fans to, to do that, which I think most of us don't have. We are going to be relying on friends and family first and foremost. And then beyond that, it's going to be, yeah, if it's like it's a genre thing, then you can like reach out to the genre community. But one thing that I encountered when I did my Kickstarter campaign was I was kind of counting on it getting outside of my friends and family and going into like maybe like the steampunk community was one thing that I was thinking about as like being the community that helped me fund it. And when I started reaching out to steampunk blogs and uh, and fans, they were all telling me there's so many steampunk movies out there on crowdfunding that they're kind of just tapped out. Like everybody's already like given as much as they can. And like, there's so many people out there now asking for money. It's like, it makes it much harder now to stand out. So I think you really have to make sure that you go after the right opportunity and not put every single movie up there, you know, save it up. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, emailing a blogger or a writer or whatever to, you know, promote your Kickstarter is like, I don't know. It's really challenging because they've already, yeah, like you said, they've already done a million of those and like they can't just be keep on feeding their community. They can't just keep on feeding them Kickstarters. It's like, you know, who wants to read a bunch of Kickstarters, you know? Like, so if you do write about a Kickstarter, <laughs> it, it needs yeah. to be, they they need to have a really con- a real connection to it and it has to be like a really cool project, you know? So yeah, I totally agree. Like when yeah. I was, um, trying to get the word out on strange thing on the online release i kind of felt like i could actually write people because i wasn't asking for money i was just asking for them to watch my movie and i think that's a much easier ask you right. know because <laughs> it's like oh i already made it yeah asking people for money is tough and and it, and it really is i mean i don't know if you want to go as far as begging but it almost is like begging kind of you know, and <laughs> it I think is. it's yeah. like you just need to be aware of of what it, what you're doing and how you're using it. And I think being really grateful for any um, support you get on crowdfunding is a really important part of it to me because you should be grateful. People are giving you money to do your art. Like that's pretty amazing. 
<laughs> you know? I think, yeah, to, to that point, like going into it, not assuming that you're just going to make it. I think, I mean, this sounds so terrible, but I just have to say it because it's the honest truth. Sometimes when I'm following a crowdfunding thing and I see it fail, I get a little <laughs> happy inside. Ouch. <laughs> because, and it, and it's not because like I don't think people deserve it, but I feel like if everybody raises their money, then it makes it less special. So there's like something to me. It's like, all right, good. People voted with their wallet, and like you, they're gonna choose the projects that they feel have the best chance of success. So Kickstarter is not a for sure thing. That's why I feel happy when when they fail is because I don't want it to be a for sure thing where it's just like you put something up and you automatically get money. I think it. If we do that, then we're just going to end up with just a bunch of projects out there that don't really mean anything. I think you to really curate and make like great projects is what it's about. And it's like people helping each other make really awesome things. Yeah. Like I feel happy when I see one fail that they didn't put the right amount of work into, you know, and not necessarily happy that it failed, but like, I'm, yeah. cause I don't really want anyone to fail, but I feel like, you know, I sort of feel like validated, <laughs> right. like, okay, like that one doesn't look like they put the time and effort into to to putting together a well thought out well um orchestrated um kickstarter or indiegogo or whatever or their video is isn't very good or yeah. they don't have a some mm-hmm. don't even have videos which i'm like well how can you not have a vi- i mean what really you're not going to put a video on your kickstarter like this ridiculous well why did you choose kickstarter over like some of the other crowdfunding platforms like what's yeah the well difference? for me it was really between indiegogo and kickstarter and i i thought a long and long and hard about it and i kind of like really researched both of them and the research I got back was that either one is okay, but the reason why I chose Kickstarter was just because it at the time, I mean, they were both pretty established, but I th- Kickstarter was still the biggest one, and I mean, I think it's it's always going to be the biggest one because it was mm-hmm. the first one, and I kind of picked it because of that because it's like it's a Kickstarter. I felt like I would get better support through the community, and I felt that like being on Kickstarter might bring in some other people to it that. Um, that wouldn't normally that I wouldn't that weren't that were more than just friends and family you know yeah I think I I had some of the same feelings about the community aspect of Kickstarter I feel like it's much more of like a place where people go to like check out new projects where Indiegogo and like um, what is it fund anything those ones to me seem like they're great places to like for a project to live but there's less of a community around it people going to check in and and see what else is, is coming out the other thing too that's great with Kickstarter is it's an all or nothing model. If you don't raise everything that you're asking for, you don't get anything, which I think is a huge incentive for people to give. Yeah, but to be fair, on Indiegogo you can do the same model where you know it's an all or nothing, but you it's just they they give you the option of flexi the flexible option or whatever, and I think a lot of people choose the flexible option. But I think. I would I agree with you. I think part of it is is the um you know that whole incentive to like help them succeed. Like if they don't get all their goal, they don't get anything. I think that does help uh get people to rally behind the project, you know. Um but uh I have a question for you. Like on your next crowdfunding campaign, are you going to go back to Kickstarter? Uh gosh, I haven't even thought about if I'd ever do another crowdfunding campaign. Yeah, well, you probably will do another crowdfunding campaign. I mean, that's just the world that we live in, most likely. <laughs> right. It has a, yeah, I, I don't have one right now that I want to put on 
on Kickstarter, but if I had to do it all over again and, and add another project, I think, I think I would go to Kickstarter. Yeah. I don't, I, I would have to look at the other ones cause I know now the few things have popped up since then. Like what was the one you're telling me? Like seed, was seed spark? What is it? Yeah. Seed and spark. Um, What's that? it's specifically for filmmakers. Um, and they, they sort of do a similar approach. I think they have all or nothing options and flexible options. So like if you get part of it, you get part of it. Or if you don't, you, you, you can just decide which one you want to do when you start, I think. Um, but it's kind of set up differently. It's more like, um, like a wedding registry where you can outline all the things that you need for your project and how much they all cost. And then when you, um, support them, uh, you uh, just okay. say, Oh, I want 10 shares of hiring the DP or 10 shares of, you know, production design or whatever it is, you know, so you can be very specific on where the money's going. So you can choose yeah oh that's that's interesting yeah i think that yeah, kind of helps cool. people too because then they see like exactly what what you're spending all your money on and what what where it goes to and that it's not just right. going to your pockets or something <laughs> well yeah i mean it's such like a nebulous like amount of money you're just like throwing it into a pot and you're like well go spend it however you want to spend it but yeah i mean that's kind of a cool idea what's the how much is the fee that they take out from what you? I, I don't know. To be honest, I didn't do that research beforehand. Uh, but I think it's probably like the rest of them, like eight to ten percent, somewhere around there. You know? Yeah. Kickstarter is is five percent fee, and then their credit card processing fees on top of that are three to five percent, depending on the credit card. I think like American Express is five percent, but Visa is like three percent. Yeah. So, and I think Indiegogo. Some of the reasons. Some of the some people choose Indiegogo over Kickstarter because I think they take less of a percentage. Yeah, but I think it's I like think they're at like three and a half. But I think it's like six percent or something, right? It's like it's or five percent, like like. Oh really? It's, I think it. Yeah, maybe it depends on how much if you reach your goal or not. Yeah, I mean that's still way better because I think on mine it ended up being like almost like nine percent or something with my Kickstarter, you know. Um, but but yeah, I mean yeah, I think. I think it's better. I think you just need to work that into it, right? Like you need to work everything into it. Like you need to work in how much you're going to spend on incentives, like how much your fee is going to be. All that needs to be part of the number you asked for. Yep. You know? Yep. We'll go into another Kickstarter episode where we break down like the, the finances of a Kickstarter campaign. And we also want to do like one about like what makes a great Kickstarter campaign. And we'll do that. We promise, but we don't want to make this episode too long. So we're really going to just kind of focus right now on, you know, like the overview, like what, what makes Kickstarter a good fundraising tool versus funding it yourself. The, you asked me the question, if I would, if I'm going to do it again, what I use Kickstarter, how about you? Are you going to use Kickstarter again on your next one? I don't know. I mean, I think uh, I'd have to take a look at. Um, I I probably would be deciding between Kickstarter, Indiegogo, and Seed and Spark, and I'd have to just take a look and just see like the success rate on um, you know projects around that time and like how many ty- diff- types of projects are on there that are similar to mine, you know, and uh, kind of probably go with the, the the platform that had ones that were not similar to mine just to kind of stand out more yeah. but i i think i'm really leaning towards seed and spark because i feel like they're filmmaker filmmaker centric 
I've heard really great things about their staff, you know, and that they really like to work with people. And based on my viewing of the site, it seems like they have a very high success rate, you know, um, for their projects. Like it seems like a lot of people get funded on there. Um, and, and in the end, I kind of think they're all the same. Like it doesn't really matter, really. Like what really matters is the effort you put into your campaign and the effort you, you put into promoting it. So, in the end, I kind of feel like you could pick any of like the major ones and you'll be fine. Yeah. It just depends on like which one's right for you and right for your project, you know? Yeah. I think that's like, I don't want to go too much into how a Kickstarter campaign works from a logistics standpoint, but anyone who's listening and thinking about doing crowdfunding, just know that it's going to be a ton of work. It's not something you can just like yeah. post up and, and, make your goal easily you're gonna have to like pr the hell out of it write every person you know call every person you know tell everybody you know about it find bloggers and and people to write about it like it's not something you just like post up and sit back and watch the money roll in it takes a lot of work to get the word out and then also motivate people to give because even if you just send people a link and be like hey check this out the chances that they're going to give are very slim. So you have to like make a case. Like, this is why I want you to help me out. Like I could really use your help. Like I, this, I can't do this without you. That was like, like the thing for me that worked the most is like saying, I can't do this without you, which was the truth. I couldn't do it without people helping. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, yeah, just doing, doing the research beforehand. Cause right now there, I mean, there's a million resources for figuring out how to, to launch a successful, you know, Kickstarter, Indiegogo, whatever campaign. So just put in the time to research everything and then do what everyone says because those things really make a big difference. Like putting all the time before you launch the campaign, it's like, oh my God, like that's what I should have done for yeah for a strange thing. And I thought and I thought I did, but I didn't. I didn't put nearly enough time into I, it. <laughs> I didn't I I agree. I didn't put a, as much time into it. I kind of saw it as like I saw the spear machine as the project and I saw Kickstarter as like a necessary step to get to that project. But I think to have a successful campaign, you have to think about Kickstarter as its own project. I mean, it takes, there's like just 30 days of it being live online, raising money. And then there's probably going to be months leading up to it where you're just planning everything and figuring out how much money you need to raise and who you're going to reach out to and all, all the little details. So, you know, give yourself time, give yourself six months to put a, a Kickstarter campaign together. If you have it, don't, don't rush into it. Absolutely. I mean, and all the really successful ones, um, I think like have had, um, like some media coverage on the first day of launching, you know? So yeah. like they'll have like articles written about them on like the big blogs or websites that uh, are correlated to their industry, you know? So like those ones are the ones that really shoot over their goals. So I feel like that's like should be the goal of any Kickstarter is to get written up on, on launch. And the only way you can do that is if you have your 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 Kickstarter all put together like a week or two weeks before you launch, and then you just spend those two weeks reaching out to people and be like, "Hey, I'm going to launch this project on X day. Will you write about it? Are you interested in about it? Would you want yeah. do you want to have an exclusive article about my Kickstarter? Like that, those kinds of things. And if you can get a, a notable blog or a website to write about you. I mean, you're not set by any means, but you have a very, very good start to getting your your uh, project funded, you know? Yeah, that's great advice. 
Well, what else is there to say about like fun? I'm, I know that there's other ways to fund movies. I'm not familiar with any of them, like getting grants or I'm, I'm sure for short films, there's not really investors or slated.com. I mean, that's all kind of like feature film level stuff. But I mean, my only experience really is like paying for it myself and raising on Kickstarter. Do you have, you don't have any other? No, not really. I mean, um, I've heard of other people who like, you know, meet somebody who is wealthy or whatever, who loves their movie and just wants to, to give them some, some money to like make their next project or, you know, like loves a script they wrote or an idea for a movie they had and wants to fund the short to rate, to raise money to get, to get the feature done. Uh, I, I never had that happen yeah. to me, but, uh, that's sort of other ways I've heard about it. I've, I mean, I've had friends do like the whole, it's basically like kick, like it was like Kickstarter before there was a Kickstarter basically, but like just reaching out to friends of family <laughs> yeah. and, and friends of friends and, and, uh, you know, doctors, dentists and lawyers, like the whole Sam Raimi thing and just doing it that way, you know, um, getting like a whole, like, uh, project together like a like a basically like, like a pitch book you know and then um making sure that it's uh it, it, that it's a, a not a tax to it's not tax deductible but it's um that it's got fiscal sponsorship so everybody who donates to you can use it for their taxes you know or whatever or that you can actually mm-hmm. take in donations yeah. uh-huh. so i think that that should be if you're if you got a big project that should be like the first step you do but i don't think that's something that you'd really do for a short film although i think I've heard of people doing it for short films too. So maybe you can do fiscal sponsorship for a short. Um, yeah, I don't know. And then you could do the Robert Rodriguez thing where you sell your body to science. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just, and then just make the movie for as least amount of money as possible. And then, and then try to <laughs> get enough money to make the next one. And, and he did that. And then his first movie did so well that it was neat. It blew his mind away. Um, which is pretty cool. <laughs> Yeah. But don't expect that to happen to you, <laughs> you know? Don't expect that you can make a $7,000 movie and then it's going to do as well as El Mariachi because that was, like, a very special movie in a very special time, you know? Yeah, I don't know if anybody could ever reproduce the success of that. But it d- doesn't mean you shouldn't follow the model, though. I feel like making a movie for very little money and just getting it out there, like, you know, that's a good start to a journey, you know? Um and uh, maybe that's going to be what I'm, I'll be doing in a year from now is just uh, making the alternate for, uh, you know, $25,000 um, and uh, <laughs> yeah. doing it. I, I got I to gotta think that you just need to be open for any opportunity around you, you know. And I think if you keep on making art and you're keeping and you keep active on your projects, then I'm not going to say that people are just going to find you. But if you put yourself out into the world and you're making yourself available, like these opportunities are going to appear. But if you just stay in your editing room and just keep on re-editing your movies or you make a movie and you don't put it out into the world, then no one's going to be able to ever find you to ever give you money to make the next one. So I feel like being out in the world (laughs) and being there ready for it, I think that's what's important, you know? I think on top of that, you have to tell people what you want. So for years, when I worked at the advertising agency and I was working in the facilities department, you know, like moving people from office to office and um, calling the plumber when the toilet was broken and changing toner cartridges, nobody knew that I wanted to make movies unless I told them. So I would just like, when people asked me, like, what do you want to do? I'd be like, oh, I want to direct feature films. And they would think that was so interesting. And just telling people about that 
game like opened up doors and opened up opportunities and even like if you see an opportunity to get money for something like let's say i i wanted money for my film and i saw an opportunity to work with one of the clients at my agency i have to go tell somebody about that and say hey what do you think about you know teaming up with comcast to make a short film about blank 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 no one's going to come to me with that proposition so i have to like kind of create it for myself so yeah talk to people tell them what you want try to create opportunities for yourself because that's the only way they're going to come yeah i i think telling people that you want to make movies and that you're a director or that you're an aspiring filmmaker or whatever you want to label yourself as i think that's really important because you know i think a lot of people and myself included at some point was like sort of embarrassed to be just to say oh yeah I, I want to be another, I'm just another wannabe filmmaker or another wannabe director or whatever. But I think that's really, if that's really what you want to do, you just need to own it and, uh, you know, just tell the world and tell everybody. And like, if you've got a project you're working on, tell everybody about that project. Tell everybody about the, the film that you want to make. Cause the more people you tell, the more excited you'll get about it, you know? And then you never know who you're going to meet, who's going to love that idea and have the right connection for you to something else, you know? Um, and then yeah. people will just start knowing you as a filmmaker and as a director rather than, you know, in my case, an editor or a shooter or a video assistant or whatever you'd want to call me, you know? And so like a couple of times recently I've been on set and I was like a, an assistant camera operator on something. And then somebody was like, aren't you more of a director? And I was like, yeah, I am more of a director. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do direct. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's how I'm glad that you I don't know how you knew that, but that's really good that you knew that. That's awesome. Well, it's even like when I (laughs) met with Ulrich and I in my head, he was a director and we sat down together and I think you told me like, hey, if you ever need help with anything, even if you need me to like help produce something, you know, let me know. And then when this opportunity came up with over my dead body and I needed a producer, I called Ulrich because I remember he said that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if I hadn't said that I that I'm interested in producing as well that project it probably would have happened but with somebody else you know and uh yeah it was totally different yeah it would have been a completely different thing and i wouldn't have been involved and i think i'm much a, a much better filmmaker from having been involved and uh you know honestly if i hadn't said that and you hadn't called me this podcast might not exist <laughs> <laughs> that's true yeah so and it all was born because all rick said something to me he just made it known that he was willing to do something for me if I needed it. Yeah, and I think think the reason why I did that wasn't just because I was like, oh, I really hope Timothy's got a project for me to produce in the future. It was more like <laughs> I felt so grateful for the time that he we basically spent like three hours talking together when we first met, and he had reached reached out to me and sought me out. So I guess I felt like, oh man, this guy's so cool, like. I really like what he's doing and I want to be involved with him because I, I believe that this guy is obviously going to be going places. And I mean, I just liked him and I liked the art that he had done. So of course I want to produce for him. Of course I want to lend my talents, whatever I can do, you know? Yeah. I think it's important to find people that you respect and you want to work with and learn from and offer up your services and just say like, Hey, I'm willing to do this for you. Just let me know if an opportunity comes up. Cause yeah, you're going to learn so much by working with people that you admire and respect. Um, I want to read Alex Kellerman wrote on Facebook about our getting an agent episode and just like read it out loud and see if 
you know, if we have any additional thoughts on it. Yeah, please do. I, 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 cool? I remember that, that comment. And yes, I would love to hear it again, please. He said, so I just listened to the getting an agent episode. I personally have gotten a couple agents with query letters, but they have sucked. Sucked. I read recently that the query letter is dead. The whole, an agent will find you and you're ready thing, I believe to actually be true. Except it's not exactly when you're ready, because you're probably ready right now. Ha ha. But when you release a film that is exceptional or gets a lot of attention, or when you sign on to a bigger project, that's when the agents will come. And if they don't call you, you can call them to say, hey, I'm about to sign a contract to write or write direct whatever, this film for Warner Brothers, and I need someone to help me negotiate the terms. And they will say yes, of course. So on a side note, he says, writers are usually better off with a manager than an agent, at least at first. I've been making short films for three years now, but I'm still a novice in the eyes of an agent or manager because I don't have connections to financiers, casting directors, or big names in the industry. I came to terms with the hard truth this year. First-time writers are poison to everyone. You must make something yourself that gets acclaim or get a film produced through a friend or something that they can watch on Hulu or Netflix before you are taken seriously these days. Hmm. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, that it. I, I mainly, all I can do is just read that out loud and be like, well, there's another perspective. I don't... I don't know how true all this is. Right. I mean, it makes sense. If you make something great, people will come. If you already have like a deal ready to go, an agent will, of course, sign on. Um, the writer of Tucker, A Man in His Dream, that Francis Ford Coppola directed, oh, yeah. was like Francis's friend. And he said, uh, he, he said, like, oh, I, I want to buy that script from you. And at the time, that writer didn't have an agent. And I think he just called like an agency and said, hey, yeah, so Francis Ford Coppola uh, wants to buy my script. Can I get an agent to help me make the deal? And like, he was signed like right away. So I think that's kind of what he's saying too, is like, if you find the opportunity, it's easy to get an agent because an agent will immediately sign anyone who has a deal that's ready to happen. Right. Cause they want the money takes the takes some Yeah. It takes the work out of their hands. Right. Yeah. I don't know about the whole, like I, I can see what he means. Like where if you go to an agent or whatever and, and like, you don't have anything produced and they're like, well, what do you have on Netflix or Hulu that I can see? It's like, I can see that sort of perspective, but I wonder if they'll be receptive to like, you know, a short film with a lot of views online. If that's, now a worthy thing to to show somebody and i don't i don't know if it is i don't know if that's oh the world that we're living in yet but i think soon enough it will be like where you know like a million views on on a short film will be currency to get you in the room with somebody you know um at least i'd like yeah. to think that it would be you know but maybe not you know maybe it does need to be something that someone else bought like it needs to be on a platform that people view as legitimate before you can actually, you know, be taken seriously as a filmmaker. I don't know the answer. Yeah, I don't know the answer either. I mean, we'll see how things develop with us. Like, uh, I'm hoping that we'll get to the point eventually in this podcast where we have opportunities to find agents or even get an agent and just kind of figure out how that whole thing works. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a daunting thing for young filmmakers to think about because there's so many filmmakers out there doing great work, you know, and you know, like, like great work in the, in the future realm, you know? So it's like, Oh, like mm -hmm. why, why would anyone take a chance on me if I've never done it before? And there's like a really great pool of yeah. filmmakers to select from, you know? 
Right. There's already so many. So yeah, why do they need another one? There was a quote that I heard from Leonard Nimoy that um, I think it was JFK told him when he was a taxi driver um, before Star Star uh-huh. Trek. He was talking about being an actor, and then uh, JFK was just like, "Oh, there's there's always room for one more good one," you know. And uh, I just thought that was such a great quote. And it's like, I, I think about that a lot. Like, there's always room for one more good one, you know? So I just keep on doing what I'm doing. And, you know, hopefully somebody will, will notice it sooner rather than later. And uh, Amen, brother. Welcome to the church of indie filmmaking. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> well, why don't we sign off? I think we've said enough today. Yeah, absolutely, man. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. Uh, help other people find us by leaving a review on iTunes or Stitcher. And we actually, we have two more reviews up on iTunes, which is awesome. Thank you, Marcus Aurelius. And then Alex Kellerman, who's also been reaching out to us on Twitter. Thanks, guys. I do realize it's kind of hard to leave a review. Um, if you're already subscribed to the podcast, it's not easy to access the review page. So here's a little quick how-to. When you're in the podcast app... Go to the search and then search for making movies is hard. And inside the store is where you can leave a review. So once you're in the store and you found us, you can access a review page. Click on a number of stars. You don't even have to write anything. Just click on some stars and leave it. That'd be awesome. And then uh, follow us on Twitter and Facebook. We have Twitter handles for the podcast, which is at MMIH podcast. And my Twitter handle is at Timothy Plain. And Ulrich, what's your Twitter handle? I'm at Ulrich B. And I also just wanted to say thanks to those guys for those reviews. They were very amazing and touching. And, you know, getting that kind of feedback is like, I don't know. It just makes me feel like we're actually, you know, this is more, this is more than just for us at this point, which is really kind of nice, you know? Um, yeah. We've yeah. transcended doing this for ourselves and being like, this is an awesome little thing to now it's like, hey, people actually are listening and caring about this. This is this is making a difference. It feels yeah. good to say that. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's very, very cool that we have people listening. And uh, yeah, thanks to everyone who listens, uh, even, even just if it's just one episode. Thank you so much. Yeah. Cool. Anything else to say? No, I'm out. Thanks, everybody. Have a good week. <laughs> You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.